0: I have a niece and a nephew, and they're 10 years old. And when I look at them and how they get information and where they're going, like, I can't imagine them picking up a cold call from a sales rep, right? I don't even know if they like pick up the phone.
1: Welcome to Contrary Research Radio, the podcast that dives deep into the world's most exciting private tech companies. I'm Kyle Harrison, General Partner at Contrary, and today we're talking to Linda Leanne, co-founder and CEO of Common Room. One of the biggest buzzwords in startups over the past few years has been community. From small startups to giant multinational corporations, everyone's talking as if they're a small town mayor insisting that their biggest resource is their vibrant community, which not only buys their products and services, but also talks about them online. Some of that is marketing hype, but there really is something there. People are increasingly spending more time in communities online and not just these big public facing ones like Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now, but smaller and not so public communities that are on Slack or Discord. And big companies and startups are both realizing how valuable these communities can be when they're trying to build a brand. People in these communities, they're not just complaining in forums. They care about these products. They're getting in, they're creating content, they're offering support, and that creates real value for these companies. Companies like Twilio, Atlassian, Stripe, they have these super vibrant developer communities. And then you have companies like Databricks and GitLab. They rely a ton on their open source community to not just use their products, but also to add to them and make them better. And communities are increasingly serving as this sort of top of the funnel for everything from sales to customer support, you name it. And the companies who are taking their community seriously, it's not just an afterthought for them. They're staffing teams to manage these communities, measure ROI, and try and make them better. But a a well-run community is not as easy as just running like a book club. You might have a thriving Discord server or an online forum, but getting actionable insights into that community, that can be pretty tough. And the problem only gets worse when your community is spread across a ton of different platforms, all of which operate pretty differently. Common Room wants to be the main tool for today's community manager, bringing all these juicy insights into one place. The company was started in 2020 by Linda Leanne, Francis Liu, Viraj Modi, and Tom klein And Common Room helps companies quantify the value that these communities provide and turn that data into action. Common Room has reporting and engagement tools that allow teams to engage their community at the right time with the right message. So let's unpack the details. To do that, I'm joined by Linda Leanne, CEO of Common Room. Linda, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Kyle. It's lovely to be here.
1: I'm very excited. We were chatting about this before, but this is the inaugural episode of Country Research Radio and couldn't be more excited to have you as one of our first guests. So let's dive in. One of the things that I love about you and your background is you've been in product, product marketing roles. And I love it when I see founders who have really, they seem to have built products that solve problems that they have experienced themselves in the past. It feels like that's very much been your experience, but maybe I'd love to get to hear the story of how you got to where you are, you know, what were sort of the defining experiences of your career leading up to Common Room? And then what was sort of the aha of like, this is the thing that I need to go build?
0: Yeah, so I am a little bit, as you kind of mentioned, a jack of all trades, master of very little. Um, I have been, you know, an early stage investor and product marketing manager. But I think, you know, part of what Common Room's trying to solve is that there's a massive transformation and how people discover and adopt and buy software. And there's a couple of pivotal moments in my career where this has come into stark relief. So the first is when I was an early stage venture capitalist um, at Madrona Venture Group, um, which focused, and I focused a lot when I was there on things like developer tooling, commercial open source. And I kind of felt like these modern, you know, software companies that were breaking through the snowflakes, um, you know, the incredible story of AWS, it wasn't this kind of traditional enterprise tops down sales model, right? It's really about developers generating this massive turbine of education and awareness and growth, empowering these companies to really grow as quickly as they had. And when I was at AWS leading product marketing for a really nascent and fast-growing service line called Serverless Computing, which uh, kind of let developers provision and spin up infrastructure and resources without having to manage them. Again, it was this disconnect between, you know, I would go into our Salesforce CRM see what our sales reps thought was happening and then i would go and look on these digital channels these watering holes where developers wanted to engage and they were already convening on the internet like Reddit and Slack and Discord and Stack Overflow. And I was like, wow, the modern buyer journey or how people are going to find and adopt software has shifted massively to these new digital channels. And how do we, as modern, you know, customer obsessed organizations, really start to visualize and get a handle on that new buyer journey? And so today, right, our vision is. We want to go transform how companies engage with people. And again, it's really this massive shift over the last two decades in how people discover and adopt and buy software. We want to be there to facilitate this new motion. So like 25 years ago, thinking back to when Salesforce was founded in 1999, you might have some word of mouth, but largely you would be contacted by a sales rep and you would learn about services that way and kind of going along this path or this evolution um, or this transformation 10 or 15 years ago, you largely interacted with the company's website. Fast forward to today, we're at this massive inflection point, right? Software is more competitive than ever before. And so how do software companies really stand out? Today, it's about word of mouth. It's about brand. That focus from generating awareness to creating influence, building a thriving community, how are you going to create and grow and own a category? These are the things that are more important than ever before. And so these are all the things that modern SaaS companies have to think about. And then I think on the flip side, you have this massive shift in consumer behavior and expectations for how consumers wanna engage with their brand, right? People, they want to engage in the digital spaces where they're already spending their time. This is what I saw specifically with developers, but it's people of all types, right? You wanna engage in Twitter and Reddit and Discord and Slack and TikTok, and so ultimately, What we do and what our platform does and what we believe is that with these new digital channels, you have to make sense of all that data, right? Whether it's a like on your content on LinkedIn or a question about your product in your Discord server or a spike in free trial usage that you're seeing in your product metrics. These are all what we call the digital footprints that make up the path of the modern customer journey and You know, what our platform does is like we aggregate all these and when these signals can be intelligently surfaced and routed, these are really the signals that companies need to take action off of.
1: It's becoming really clear that the best companies are really focused on their community and I kind of joke, it's sort of their vibes, right? They're putting their vibes out into, into the internet and stuff. But you look at a lot of very different communities that require a lot of very different things, right? So you've got Plaid and Stripe are super focused on their developer communities and people using their products. But then you have companies like a Databricks or a GitLab that are not only just have users of their products, but they actually have an entire open source community that's contributing to their product, right? And and actually helping them build and improve their product. And then finally, you've got folks like Figma or Notion, who it's more like user communities where you want to be able to support them with guides and resources and sharing best practices and things. All of those are fairly different. How do you address such a broad surface area of different types of communities?
0: Yeah, so you highlighted a bunch of sort of the diversity of communities. What's been really interesting is the things that they all have in common. So at the end of the day, right, for a brand to really stand out today, you want to kind of become what I call this platform of economic opportunity. And that kind of is part and parcel with your ability to create and define and own a category and so what happens is you go beyond the sort of transactional, like, hey, I build a software product, you buy and use a software product, right? So, for example, with all those communities that you called out, with Figma, with Databricks, with you know, Atlassian, with Notion, all of their users believe and are enabled to kind of build their career, their livelihood, their professional identity alongside this brand. It's bigger than a design tool. It's a way of life, right? And so ultimately there's two outcomes that companies drive when they're building any community, whether it's, you know, around more so of a product, you know, support community or more so of that brand and lifestyle community. It's to grow their influence and, facilitate people to be successful with their software and get hands on and adopt the product. And then ultimately, if they're having a great enough experience, you are looking for the right to convert them into customers, right? That's kind of the modern buyer journey. You have awareness and influence at the top. Are you aware of this brand? Are you interested in this category? And then you're using the free trial. You're trying before you buy. You don't want to talk to a sales rep right now or ever, right? You just want to be able to get hands on and see if it's the right solution for you. That's really where PLG comes in. And we hear about the importance of product usage data. And then ultimately, you know, I think for most companies today, there's still that human led or sales led element that they need to layer on in order to ultimately kind of convert that customer into, you know, someone who's docu-signed a contract. Um, We always like to say like users adopt software, companies buy software. And so we see kind of this very sort of common pattern with all of these companies. Every single company you called out kind of follows this path where sort of at the end of this PLG, CLG funnel, you want to be able to deploy your sales reps, your solutions engineers, your sales engineers, those humans to kind of take it the last mile. And so again, I think, you know, the right kind of customer intelligence platform today, you really want to map out that entire path. And so for example, like, you know, we can show you, hey, here are all those influencers who are interested in, you know, your category and the problems that you're solving for. We know that they have X number of followers on Twitter. So they're, you know, a thought leader. And how do you really nurture and support those individuals so that you're creating more and more of that noise and awareness and influence about your brand within your certain category? And then going deeper into the funnel, it's like, okay, now you have this owned community, your Discord, your forum, your Slack, where you you might have product specialists or even support engineers or customer success folks really helping folks adopt the product in those channels. How do we then plug into those channels and help you really understand like, hey, there's a POC happening over here with these sets of users and they're asking questions about a specific use case. You should probably put more attention on servicing this group of people. And then ultimately it's like, okay, there's this conversion event that needs to happen. Your reps need to have the latest and greatest information on how a specific company is using the product or asking questions in the community. How do we give that context to the humans that then need to go and reach out with a personalized touch point, um, get the customer on the phone and ultimately convert them. And so like, I think the best companies um, that are really successful with community, they kind of like very surgically figure out what's most important to them at that phase in their business life cycle? What are those strategies that'll get them? What are the plays that'll help them build, you know, the kind of motion that they need? Um, So, you know, companies that are early on, let's say a seed stage or a series A company, you're a couple founders, maybe you're technical founders, right? You might have a piece of software that you're selling to a technical audience. What do you do? Well, you probably want to first like figure out where is the conversation happening? Is it on Twitter? Is it on Reddit? Where are people already discussing the things that you're building for those problems that you're solving for? You want to bring them into you know kind of a central place. A lot of brands use discord or slack today and then you want to make sure that you know there are people in there whether it's your marketing team your content team really providing that educational content but also people in there to support you know your ability to answer product questions as they come up. And so it's really, and then, you know, we see in the most mature communities, yeah, there's absolutely more customer facing teams in there, right, CSMs, sales reps. So it's really this maturity cycle that a lot of companies go on, which is like, how do we build a thriving digital community? How do we then really plug this community into you know our customer journey, which ends with some goal of conversion at some point, hopefully.
1: Yeah, you make it super clear that there's so much you almost think about the funnel. And at every point throughout the funnel, there are different layers of engagement, if you will, right, where there's different places people are talking about you. One of the things that feels like complex, and I'm sure this translates into how you have built the product, which I want to get into. But as you think about all those different layers of engagement, how do you prioritize, right? I'm picturing, you know, somebody who engages on Twitter, they're commenting on your subreddit, there's engagement data behind them. Maybe they're in the CRM as they've actually reached out for a trial or something. How do you think about that corpus of data and and try and unify it and try to make sense when there's so much noise in so many different places?
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the most exciting like promises of AI, right? And so there's really like, Three main ways that we think about all this modern trackable data. There's like who you are, what action you've taken, whether it's like increasing your usage in the product trial or asking a question in the Discord server, right? And then it's like, how do all these individual kind of end user actions roll up into a view of an account or a company? And when you aggregate all that together, you can have some intelligent scoring on top of it. So, you know, for example, if you're a commercial open source company, you're like, wow, filing an issue in GitHub is such a high signal intent that they are trialing our product and they're looking for help, right? And, you know, we're looking for these specific titles, staff developer, DevOps engineer. So you can get really specific about those signals that you're looking for to qualify intent. And what's so great about kind of what you can do in Common Room or, you know, with that 360 view of your customer engagement in general is you can start to get really precise about it. And so, you know, for example, like, you know, some companies, they might care a lot more about product usage signals because they don't have a massive digital community. They're not a Figma or a Notion. There's not just millions of people asking questions about the product every single day and trying to get help and adopt it, right? And so for those companies, product usage becomes the far more sort of important weight in terms of qualifying, you know, intent signals or when should a human reach out? And I think our philosophy is really like, it's all configurable, right? You can say, hey, these digital channels matter a lot more to me. Um, You know, we have a customer who does a ton of their pipeline, and they're selling on Twitter. That's just where their brand resonates. They are just, like, all in on Twitter. That's where they're developers and their users want to engage. And so a question on Twitter, that means a lot more than even someone signing up for a free trial. And so you can kind of start to score all these signals across the buckets that matter for your business and your brand and you know how your users find you and how they end up adopting you um, to create really personalized and configurable like scoring algorithms to help you parse that signal from the noise.
1: That's so interesting. And and so now translate that into the product for me because I'm seeing, I visualize this sort of almost a CRM-esque way of tracking lots of different people And then you have just an ocean of signal that you're trying to not only correlate to the person, but also understand the the correlation of specific behaviors, how important that is. And then you have to take all of that really complicated data and put it into a sort of interface or like a consumable feed of some kind that somebody who's trying to understand the community can then understand it and say, ah, now I need to go do X, Y, Z. Like, help me understand how does that actually turn into the product for you guys?
0: What's interesting is... Common Room doesn't really have any legacy analogs. And so we're not replacing, you know, a marketing automation tool or CRM. We're kind of this platform that looks and feels like nothing before. And I think part of it is, you know, we kind of latch onto this problem and ultimately our customers have pushed us in this really interesting direction with respect to our product development. So the first thing we did is we integrate into every trackable touchpoint along this modern customer journey, right? We plug into those conversational or social channels where that digital engagement about your brand is happening. Slack, Discord, GitHub, Twitter, Reddit. We plug into your product usage data. We plug into your CRM data. We map it all together into this unified view. And we kind of like to call it a digital relationship manager in contrast to like a CRM. And we show you kind of who these relevant individuals are, what action they're taking, whether it's, you know, product usage metrics or asking a question in your community, and then how these individual actions or these individuals roll up into a view of that account or a company. And as we started creating kind of almost this like, just this like digital sort of log of, you know, this newsfeed of every. Thing that everyone's saying and doing, like this member directory of every single person who's engaging with you and doing something across all these digital touch points, this org view of all the accounts and organizations that, you know, we're identifying in your community. What we found is that customers, they want to take all this new and novel data and this new and novel data combination, and they wanted these automated workflows that they could set on top of the data for a ton of different use cases. And so, you know, as we've gone out of market, we've gathered more and more customers and they're creating more and more of these plays. We're starting to identify some really interesting tactics and strategies that, you know, our customers and the brands that use us are leveraging to kind of facilitate this modern customer experience. So like, I'll give you a couple of examples. If you're a company and you're really interested in growing your influence, defining your category, building your community, right? Your you're Figma. You're very keen to find influencers with broad social reach on digital channels who are talking about your problem space and you want to kind of nurture them into champions. And, you know, Notion does this so well, um, Webflow as well, you know, Snowflake has a champion program, AWS has a champion program, but we see tons of these modern SaaS companies and brands. They build these influencer programs. And so Common Room, for example, we can help automate everything from finding the new influencers based on a set of criteria or, you know, lookalike criteria. We can automate incentives like sending swag based on certain levels of engagement. We can help you measure the impact of your champion advocacy programs, which previously really wasn't possible. And so like on the influence side, these programs, they really make a difference. So for example, Asana found that companies where they had Asana ambassadors would adopt new features like 3x more. I'll give you another play that we're starting to see that's super common right now as everyone kind of thinks about like, you know, every single CRO or CMO I talk to, they're either focused on building their PLG motion or they're focused on building an enterprise discipline. I kind of mentioned this earlier. I think most software companies, most SaaS companies, they're going to need to bridge that PLG or CLG motion with their human-led or sales-led motion. It's not one or the other. It's usually both. And so You know, we work with a ton of open source or commercial open source companies, ML and AI companies, where, you know, they have a massive community of free adopters, whether that's, you know, their developers are rolling their own stack and using the open source software or using a free trial version of the commercial software. These developers asking questions in the community, they're consuming educational content. And so we can come in and say, you know, hey, Anytime you see a developer with this title from this size or industry of company who meet these criteria for you in terms of who your ideal customer profile is, and they're using the product in a certain way, or they're asking these types of questions in the community, and we can set up alerts on keywords like pricing or security that signal like super high intent. Right. We want to make sure that in these moments we're alerting a human, a salesperson or a solutions engineer who can reach out with that really personalized, you know, helpful message in that channel where that developer is engaging, something like a Slack or a Discord or even Twitter DMs and you know, offer help with the hope that it earns them a conversion opportunity in the future. And so we've seen incredible stats like 40% increase in pipeline and 20% increase in conversion through just understanding this type of data and this engagement and automating that action to help your sales team or your marketing team meet your users where they are today. So it's really incredible what happens when you take all this kind of like modern buyer journey data and you start to layer on top like these workflows that help you engage in a modern way, right? You're not sending a cold outreach email. You're saying, hey, thanks for asking that question in our Discord server, can we hop on a call and can I help you walk through that problem you're having?
1: What is sort of the trigger or like the most common thing that pushes someone to go looking for a solution like Common Room? And then the the customers you see that, that see the most success from the platform, what's kind of the DNA of the best, you know, this ideal customer for you?
0: Yeah. So today it's really, hey, are you a brand that's thinking you know, where do I go and engage my users? Should I start a Discord server? Should I start a Slack? Am I having conversations with them on Reddit, on Twitter? Do I have open source code and a GitHub repo, right? And so if you're a brand that has these front doors, like we're an amazing fit for you. We're best for sort of these modern B two B software companies that have a pre product free trial, right? That engage with their users on these fragmented digital channels, and so that means that we have a lot of customers in the developer tooling space: DataBrick, MongoDB, Elastic, Snowflake, AWS. A lot of commercial open source companies use us: Temporal, Plume, um, you know, Imply, Starburst, StarTree, and we also have a lot of customers in kind of that AI ML space which looks a lot like commercial open source or developer tooling Cohere Replit OpenAI and then I think the the last bucket is really PLG SaaS right Notion Airtable Asana Figma these are webflow these are also customers of ours and so I like to call it modern SaaS. It's really companies that understand the value of user-led growth and user-led engagement.
1: That's a heck of a list. But I'm curious for you, like, what do you feel like are the most powerful tailwinds in the market that you're trying to really position yourself to sort of take advantage as things change?
0: I think there's some really just kind of like massive fundamental ones, right? Like the increase in digital literacy, (laughs) the availability of cloud infrastructure. So it's more and more, it's easier than ever to build a software company. It's harder than ever to build a software brand, (laughs) right? Um, You know, I think like there's incredible sort of tailwinds that AI might ultimately drive. Um, AI search is making it so that any sort of transactional piece of knowledge, you're going to be able to get right away. You're not going to have to do as much research. A lot of that AI, is going to take over. And so in a world where, you know, you ask AI a certain question and they return four or five answers, like how do you really go and do that research? You're going to want to flock towards communities of real humans who are championing a product or telling their stories because all the facts you'll be able to get like right away, right? And so where do you go for the that human interaction that not bot research, you're going to go to communities. Those are going to be the trusted, genuine places. And, you know, I think ultimately, like if I think about the new generation, like I have a niece and a nephew and they're 10 years old. And when I look at them and how they get information and where they're going, like I can't imagine them picking up a cold call from a sales rep, right? I don't even know if they like pick up the phone. It's all going to be on these like digital channels and you know they're going to expect to engage with brands in the places where they already, you know, seek knowledge and it's going to be TikTok, right? <laughs> and so like how do we kind of project ourselves forward 20 years and ask like what does software look like? What does software consumption and adoption look like? It's going to look a lot more consumer like. I really think this concept of like enterprise largely goes away.
1: <laughs> Do you guys have a, a TikTok integration? Are you listening to that <laughs> signal as well?
0: We're working on it. And it's definitely one we've been asked more often than you would think from brands you would not expect.
1: <laughs> that is hilarious. The It was such a like, it's such a good framing. And I hadn't really thought about it because I feel like I am, I am sort of in the whatever elder millennial group where it's like, I have, I have TikTok. It's definitely not a part of my DNA or whatever. But when you hear like TikTok has become almost like the nearest competitor to Google because that's where people go for information, to your point it's like figuring out where they're going to congregate and it doesn't matter they get to decide where they want to congregate it's just our job to be really good at listening to it, right?
0: Totally. I mean look at how, you know, even more traditional brands have had to learn this the hard way. So for example, like Silicon Valley Bank, right? A big part of, you know what what caused the bank run was Not that they weren't communicating. It's the avenue and the channels on which they were communicating through, right? SVBs issuing SEC reports. And where was the conversation and the fear happening? It was happening in digital channels like Twitter. And as a brand, if you're not there to kind of be part of that conversation and to direct the traffic event, to keep a pulse on it you know, things can really spin out of control.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I feel like I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, old video of I think it's like Michael Key acting as Obama's translator where like he's allowed to be angry or whatever, like Obama's talking this very political speech. And then this guy standing behind him, like screaming what Obama really wants to be saying. I feel like every company is going to get to the point where they need like a legalese corporates translator where they're like, listen, I understand that you're putting out filings. If you're SVB, I understand you're putting out filings. You're saying this and that. That's, I get that you think that you're communicating, but here's this guy and he's going to come along and say it the way the internet is going to hear it. And the internet is going to hear like massive alarm bells and everything's falling apart and it's going to cause a bank run and stuff. Like that is exactly the kind of messaging. I guess like translating that to in a common room, like it feels like for you all, the sort of value prop of the product, it's not even really, because I and I want to talk a little bit about how you think about differentiating yourself right to your point in a world where moats are much fluffier than they ever have been, and how you differentiate yourself. But it feels like a lot of people are positioning this as like I, I hear folks talk about, you know, it's effectively a PLG CRM, where we just take engagement data, and then we translate that into leads. And it's pretty straightforward. Or it's like they wanna become, other folks wanna become the forum themselves where rather than managing things in a Discord or a Slack, you're managing it in this platform and then it's much easier for them to understand it. It feels like you all are very different from either of those sort of approaches, but I'm curious how you think about positioning yourself in the the kind of competitive landscape, if you will.
0: Yeah, so for us, like we wanna go solve that problem of like, what is that modern customer journey? How do we let you kind of take action at every step? And so, you know, I think on the one hand, you have a lot of, you know, awesome sort of, we'll call it like PLG sales tools. They kind of layer on top existing data you already have around product usage signals or CRM data. And I think over and over again, we found that that type of signal just isn't really enough, right? You're you're kind of like value extracting from the the sort of free trial signups. And you're viewing this very, very narrow slice of kind of that user journey from when they start a product trial to before they convert. And yeah, there's a lot of rich signal in there. But, you know, if you're just kind of empowering a sales team to really extract that data, that's really interesting. I think we just kind of take this perspective that that's only one piece of sort of delivering that modern customer experience, right? I think the other piece of it is around community and influencers and really getting that digital awareness and that noise going out on um, the internet. And there's so many different ways that this creates this user-led growth flywheel. It could be the right amount of content or the right type of content you're putting out to educate people in a more scaled manner. It could be, again, I spoke about those influence and champion and advocacy programs. You know, like it could be things like automating swag dole outs every time, you know, you see an influencer tweet about you three times. like how do we enable modern brands to also build up, I call it the reservoir, right? So if you think about sort of product-led sales as really value extracting once people are starting a free trial, how do you build that reservoir of people who are thinking about your problem space, talking about your brand, championing you know, what you guys do and sort of almost that top of the funnel traditionally. And so I think like ultimately, we wanna be able to service that entire experience. Um, part of it is like, I think, In this sort of user-led growth space, there's going to be like a platform takes all, like winner takes all component. And ultimately, like, I think the company that can figure out, like, what is that platform solution? How do you visualize this entire customer journey? Not just a slice of it, but really that whole thing. Um, You know, I think... That's why at the end of the day, like we like to think of what we're building as like a digital relationship manager, right? It's for companies that believe that digital relationships with their end users is going to be so key in how they grow and innovate going into the future.
1: You brought up this really interesting discussion of sort of value creation and value capture. And one of the things I feel like has really pushed people towards this sort of community centric way of consumption. It's also a feeling of like not wanting to be sold to, right? Like you don't want to feel like the thing that's getting marketed to, even though like, you know, people love the idea of getting sold things that are perfect for them, but they don't want it to feel transactional. They want it to feel personal and and unique. And so when it comes back to this dynamic of, we want to create as much value as possible. And then obviously we want to have a business model that can capture value from that you look at just like the customer base that you mentioned earlier, you have very different models for how to capture value, right? You've got everything from the AWS and the Snowflake to Stripe and Plaid and all across the board. How do you guys think about it from your perspective? Because you're also sort of in this interesting place where it's like, you want to feel that common room is a really personalized solution for them to not say, Hey, this is the boilerplate solution. This is great for every community, slap it on and it works. It's like, no, you can customize this to your needs. And so it feels very personal. So how do you guys think about balancing that, you know, wanting to create as much value as possible, but also at the end of the day, needing to be able to capture some of that value?
0: yeah it's really cool to see how the macro often influences you know what companies focus on i was at this networking event and i spoke with the cfo who really kind of like illuminated this perspective in me which is like yeah like when times are good everyone is focused on growth at all costs when times are tough you suddenly start to care about things like efficiency or profitability well, it'd be the wrong thing during the growth at all costs time to be like hammering on efficiency and profitability, right? That would be like the wrong thing to do in terms of like how you think about the strategy of your company. And so it's less about like, oh, should we have done this? Or should we have done that? More about like, what is the macro telling you you need to do to survive and, you know, deliver customer value? So last year, I would say it was, companies and brands were very focused on, you know, helping make sure that their communities felt heard and supported and connected. It was, you know, 2020, 2021 was a big boom time for community and digital engagement, right? We saw Web3 and crypto and these community native things pop up. And I think the ethos then was very like, let's give to the community, right? Let's make sure that they're you know we're we're giving them everything all the value we could possibly provide and there was no sense of like how do we kind of you know realize value out of it i think this year everyone is looking at you know a very different situation they're asking themselves how are we going to you know hit our pipeline goals how are we going to grow? How are we going to really narrow in the focus on who our ICP is so that our humans spend, you know, as much targeted time as possible converting those highest intent opportunities? And so this year there's a lot more around, hey, can we take that reservoir of all this digital engagement product usage data? And can we parse out the signal of like, you know, who we need to be converting right now, like who are the highest intent you know organizations so it's very it changes year over year and i think the way that we've built our platform is really again like those really configurable workflows and those automations based on whatever criteria you want to set so that um it's really like applicable across so many different use cases but it's definitely been interesting to see the plays that have come to the forefront this year a lot of which is about bridging you know, PLG and CLG signals with an enterprise human-led motion.
1: Yeah. And then how does that translate? So when you guys think about your own business model too, because there's obviously, to your point, like at different times, like you're kind of emphasizing different things. And especially even for an earlier stage company, as you're trying to grow, you want to be able to get working with a lot of customers who have really powerful communities. So you can also understand their practices and, and then you get better and better and stuff as you think about, like, you know, you think about a community that explodes and, and sort of takes off if common room is, is the a big driving force behind understanding that community, is there a way to capture that value as they grow? Is it based on, you know, the number of seats of people managing the community? Is it based on the volume in the community? How have you guys thought about that for yourselves?
0: Yes. Um this is a great and very timely question. We actually just had a customer of ours go from like hundreds of thousands of members in their community to like almost 10 million. I'm not gonna say who, but it was quite the ascent. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I think in terms of our pricing, we always want to map, again, like the value we're realizing with the value that we're providing. And the number of community members doesn't always correlate exactly, right? So you could have, you know, let's say you're a community that went viral and now you have, an insane number of members and there's a lot of noise. There's very little signal. There's a lot of noise. You know, we would really want to price on metrics that help you realize the value from that incredible amount of noise. So what does that mean? It can mean things like the number of, you know, leads that we're going to pass to your Salesforce CRM, the number of um, you know, accounts that we're going to augment with the questions that people are asking in the context of what they're doing are we going to bring in the bots that are you know making a bunch of noise and tweeting random nonsense no we wouldn't want to charge on that and so i think like thinking through things like usage based pricing is not always so black and white in our space because you know some of the biggest most noisy communities are also the lowest signal unfortunately and that's the nature of the internet that you kind of have to protect against
1: yeah that's so interesting it's also i'm sure like Isolating that is really important for them to feel heard, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest things you look at things like Splunk, like Splunk's pricing for a long time, felt people make made people feel very penalized because it was just purely linear almost in terms of volume and stuff. And it's like, I don't feel like I'm getting three times as much value, but I'm paying three times as much as I was last year. Like, this is crazy. And so you definitely want to be thoughtful of that it's kind of the same for you guys internally, I'd imagine like they're thinking about their North Star metric, right? And probably it's like, it's not just number of, you know, signups in our community or whatever, there is this sort of North Star metric. And so internally at Common Room, do you think about it? Similarly, where it's like the, you know, valuable connections created? Is it just number of customers? Is it something else? What is sort of that guiding North Star for you all as you think about measuring your own success?
0: we have very practical and i think like roi driven ways to think about our metrics so for example we'll think about things like you know how much of our current sets of customers originated first in a community touchpoint whether it was engaging with our linkedin content or our twitter content or joining our slack community or attending one of our meetups right what percentage of our customer base did we actually, you know, convert through one of these channels? We'll look at metrics like what are the conversion cycles for folks engaged in our community? Are they faster than, you know, the conversion cycles of those that don't? obviously the growth of our community, but who is growing? What are those titles? Are they part of our ideal customer persona? Are we you know, creating value for the right type of people to join the conversation? And so we have very customer centric metrics for community. Because ultimately it ties into, again, this concept we have, which is like community is kind of your reservoir, your top of the funnel for your customer journey, right? If we're bringing in a lot of folks into our community who have nothing to do with the types of people that use our product or ultimately convert, like that's not really a viable community strategy for us. If we're not providing, you know, amazing amounts of support in our community for people who are trying our free trial product, free trialing our product and they're not converting faster and we don't see that in the data, then like, what's the what's the goal there, right? So we always try to map it back to our ultimate, you know, the things we care about, which is, are we building something of value for customers and are they becoming successful on it?
1: Well, a final question for you. So when you think about the elevator pitch for what you're building, what's the most poignant or powerful way of sort of presenting the common room story that that most often resonates with people in a really meaningful way?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like Common Room integrates into every trackable touchpoint, digital touchpoint along your modern customer journey. And we combine what people are saying with what they're doing with your product, with who they are as a customer. And we map it into this unified view that lets you take action to grow awareness, grow pipeline and convert customers um and that's really at the heart of it and yeah I think it's really interesting because we do have a lot of customers now like hundreds of customers and I think there definitely is like a what is this thing (laughs) like how does it work and I think part of the the challenge there is like again like you know We're not marketing automation, we're not sales automation, we're not CRM, we're not kind of social listening, like, we don't really fit into a category. And so I think looking ahead for us, it's, it's exactly what, you know, we tell our customers that they have to do. And what we talked about, it's like, we have to go and really define and own and influence a category and help people learn from each other and expose all the plays and the ways that people are kind of using the tool to go and deliver a modern customer experience for their buyers.
1: I love it. Awesome. Well, Linda, thank you so much for getting to walk me through the story. It was awesome to get to get into the weeds and uh, really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Thank you, Kyle.
1: Thanks for listening to Contrary Research Radio. If you want to hear or read more from us, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast player or visit us at research.contrary.com.